Welcome to The Grid, sponsored by PokerStars. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. I told you a few months ago that there are some very exciting reasons why I've been especially busy lately. Well, one such reason is that I'm coming out with Chess Queens. It's a totally updated and revised version of my previous book on women in chess. Right now, orders are my love language. With that in mind, let's get into this episode's special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grid. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and today I have a very special guest, Angela Jordison. She is a poker professional hailing from Oregon and Iowa. Though she is primarily a PLO cash game player, she has amassed 350K in live tournament earnings. I first heard about Angela back in 2015 when she literally won three tournaments on three consecutive days. And they were like, not, not really small tournaments either. So we're going to have to get into that in the interview. I've always admired Angela's witty Twitter feed. So I was delighted when she took me up on my offer to team up in this summer's World Series of Poker to raise money for abortion rights, abortion access, all things that are currently under threat. I'm in this country. We're recording right now in June of 2022. So we're all in for abortion access and we are going to win. And this isn't something that I say often, but in this case, I'd be okay with expanding the number of seats at each table, as long as it also includes expanding the Supreme Court. And today, Angela brings us a hand against former world champion, Greg Raymer. Thank you, Angela, for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to play with you this summer. And I'm very excited about this hand against Greg Raymer. Um, can you tell us when this took place and kind of where you were in your poker career at the time? So this was at the fall. This was in the fall at the World Series. And it was the first time I was eligible for the seniors event, which I kind of had a mixed feeling whether I even wanted to play it or not. But I ended up playing it. And it uh, was a different tournament than anything I had really played before. I had heard about the seniors events, but didn't really know what to expect. And it was everything I had heard and more. It was a really, really fun tournament. And it was a tournament that I was really able to get out of line with um, when it came to opening and three betting. And so it made it even more fun. Yeah. Because normally you're just like so conservative. You never get out of line. Yeah. (laughs) I've already chatted with you about a few hands and I know that you do like to get in there. But let me ask you, was the seniors event so wonderful of a tournament that you would charge 1.8 markup? (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to answer that. I couldn't sleep if I charged anybody 1.8 markup. So no. But you did have ace eight. So you had ace eight suited to this hand. 
So when in the tournament was this? So this was the the 1K seniors in October, I think at the end of October during the series. And when you had this hand against Greg Raymer, um, was this your first table? No, this was day two. This was day two and we were already in the money. So this was my day two starting table. And so Greg was at my table for the day, or actually he got moved there real quickly into day two. And um, so we had played together for probably a couple hours at this point. And, you know, normally when I go over hand history, you know, I've learned through coaching and stuff how to explain them. Oh, I'm this many blinds effective and I'm GTO and I'm betting third pot and this kind of stuff. And a lot of that goes out the window in these seniors tournaments because there's a lot of other dynamics that usually are never pertinent in a hand and you just really would never explain in a hand history. But these are, I'm the only woman at a table, at a seniors table, and I've already been ID'd in um, an event a day before they accused me of maybe cheating and lying to be in the tournament because I look younger than the field. So it, it just had some weird dynamic and I am raising and three betting like crazy. So they're, they're sick of me at this point, real sick of me <laughs> and making comments. And I'm not invisible at the table at this point. So I open ace eight of spades uh, under the gun plus one, which is a standard open for me in any tournament. And it gets to Greg uh, Raymer on the button. And he, I open to like 2.2. He raises me to six or to three point. He raises me like three and a half X, 3.2. And I call, I'm, I'm just not folding here. And um, I'm calling, I'm looking for excuses to play hands. I don't fold to a lot of button three bets anyway. And so we're going to the flop. And we are the two biggest stacks at the table. I start the hand with approximately 80 bigs. He starts the hand with like 75 bigs. We have all the chips. And we have played some hands together. He's made comments that other players have made comments that then I'm getting out of line. So we get to the flop and it's ace, eight, three, two clubs. And I check. He bets five bigs and I raise. So he bets to 20K after three betting me to 28K and I raise to 68K and he beats me in the pot. As soon as I raise, he's expecting to raise out of me, I guess. And he is in that pot so fast. I'm definitely thinking that this is a club draw at this point, could be top pair and a club draw, but I think he maybe would have raised me with that hand. I feel like this is a good spot for me to get a lot of chips in if this turn comes clean. Uh, the turn comes an eight of clubs. So the club draw gets there and I fill up and I check again. So I can't remember the last time I went for a double check raise. Like it's just not something that comes up very often, but an orbit prior, I had check raised flop with a gutter and like double back doors air <laughs> kind of, and he had called and a really bad turn came off and I just check folded the turn. And I could tell that that made him really happy. And so, and, and another guy was like, oh, what are you doing? You raise and then you check the turn or you just check fold the turn. So I decided to take that same line and check again after check raising the flop. And he bets 50K. And I can tell at this point, I really feel he has a flush drawn that he's just not folding. So I'm getting the money in and I tank jam and he snap calls me so fast. I think, oh my gosh, he has aces. I'm like, I'm out here. And he has ace king, no club. 
and just called it off for the 75 bigs or whatever total in the hand. And I was pretty surprised. Uh, Poker News was there and was writing it up at the time of the hand because there were so many chips in the middle of the pot. And then they're counting down because our stacks are pretty similar. And he's sitting there and sitting there. They push me all the chips and he's still sitting there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is like, sometimes, you know, I've been in the bar business and owned bars and I've fired people before. And I'm always like, are they going to leave or <laughs> and he's still sitting there? But what I didn't realize, I didn't know that he signed something and gives it to you. And he was writing something out and gave me his little fossil thing. And then he left the tournament area, but I, I was feeling so awkward because I was like, oh my God, he's never leaving. Because he seemed so shocked by my hand. And then he actually did a Twitter post after and um, he made it sound like it went all in pre-flop ace eight versus ace king and that it was a bad beat and that summer was running bad. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's more of an exploitative hand instead of your GTO hand. It's just kind of a hand that you're going to see. It was a hand played that you would see at a seniors tournament, I think. Well, you adjusted in the moment to get that double check raise in. Were you thinking of that play on the flop or did it just kind of like occur to you in the moment when the eight of clubs fell and you realized, you know what, he's got flushes in his range. He's going to bet at this. Um, and you know, I beat his value and I also couldn't induce a bluff. Was it like a spur of the moment thing or were you going to do that a lot based on your, like your flop? No, I mean, it, 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 sometimes you set something up and you don't even realize if it's ever going to come. So when I check raise a flop with double back doors and a gutter, and then I have to fold turn because of the turn is so bad. Like I just don't improve with equity. I don't do anything. Mm -hmm. I know that a player like Greg is going to remember that play. Right. So I just hope that something can come up and I can use it again. And also he's, he probably is just never folding to me when I'm playing so many hands and taking it to the river and, you know, just playing so aggressive, way more aggressive than I, than I've ever played any tournament because nobody is looking me up. Nobody is holding me accountable. Um, nobody's playing back at me. So I'm just going to continue to get out of line until somebody stops me is what, what my attitude was there. So it was kind of almost a setup that happened for the few hours that we had played. So that's why I wasn't scared to get the money in on the turn because I knew any flesh he was not folding. Oh yeah. And he actually seemed very, very stunned when I plopped over my hand and actually I was kind of stunned with his hand too, because you might want to think about it, you know, <laughs> when you're double check raise ace king, it might not be good there, especially when my range is so wide, even in early position at this point. Yeah. You got to wonder, what did he think you had? Do you think he thought you had like King, like, like uh, what, like King Jack with a club? Like what, 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 uh, what exactly was he thinking that you were um, bluffing with there that he was going to snap? And, you know, when maybe he just thought you had like a lot of random cards, you know, just something with like almost no equity. Like I said, in these seniors tournaments, there are so many dynamics when you're the woman at the table and you're aggressive. And I honestly really feel like he thought he had me, you know, he has ace king on the button. He's three bet me slop top pair. And it felt very emotional to me. It didn't feel like he's breaking me down. He's making decisions so quickly. He's beating me in the pot every street. So it didn't feel like there was a lot of thought based. It didn't seem like he was ranging me at all. It seemed like he was going with the hand. Right. And of course, there was the ace of clubs. So it was the ace, eight, 
three with the ace of clubs and the three of clubs and then the eight of clubs on the turn. Right. It's not like you could have ace jack with the ace of clubs. Not to criticize his play, though, because he didn't see your cards. Maybe he just thought you were check raising with air a ton of the time. And of course, he was wrong about that. Right. Which is why it's like so hard to go on just like a little bit of live play because it's like such a such a small sample size. Um, so you got your fossil. Do you still have a fossil? I actually gave it to a friend who was running so bad. And I was like, here, you can have this for good luck. And so he told me, he goes, I'm bringing that fossil back to you. It didn't give me any good luck. So I'll get it when I get to Vegas this weekend. I mean, he was such a nice guy and was very personable to everybody at the table. This hand, I'm sure he would do over. I mean, we all have hands like that, but it was a really fun hand. And it was also one of those hands where it gets really awkward after, you know, like everybody's kind of quiet. It just wasn't the hand you expected him to roll over for so many chips. And then how far did you get into the tournament after this hand? Um, I w- went into day, like the middle of the day, day three, right? So, I mean, I had a top chip stack. I had four times average after this hand. Like I, I had, obviously, when you have 150 bigs on, on a day two, you've got a lot of chips. I made it like top 100 or something, like hundreds. Uh, I don't even remember. It wasn't that big of a cash. I lost flips on day three. And it was pretty exciting. I actually thought, oh, I'm going deep in this. You know, it was a, it was a disappointing finish on day three because I four bet jammed with ace king out of the small blind and the big and the big blind had queens and just lost the flip. Right. This is a huge tournament. I always forget, you know, my dad plays in this some years as well. Um, and he's now eligible for the super seniors as well. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's going to be even more exciting to get it. That's a 65 plus, I think. So you have a long way to go. It's, it's 60 now. Way. Yeah, I have a long way, but it is 60 now. Oh, they're just different. You know, you're not you're not going to get players to fold top pair in a seniors tournament. You just don't try. I mean, it's not happening. It's going to take a lot of heat to get them to block top pair. And it was really fun because it, it doesn't have a lot of ego in it. Everyone's just there and having fun and, you know, happy to be there. So it, it just has a different feel for sure. But you work hard at a lot. So I, I understand because I remember you tweeting about this, that you were carded so often. I'm sure in the beginning it was kind of funny, but then at some point it actually got annoying. They tried to kick me out of the tournament area on day two, right before this hand, actually. There was a bet that happened at the table and the players needed another player that was in the hand at the table they had been at previously to verify this bet. So I wasn't in the hand and one of the guys goes, will you walk over there with me to verify this bet so that the other guy at the table would have a witness? And I'm like, sure. So we walk over there and on the way back, the floor guy starts screaming at me to clear the tournament area. These players are in the money. You need to clear the tournament area get out of the tournament area. I'm like, I'm in the tournament. And he's like, no, you're not out of the tournament. He's screaming at me like across four rows of tables. Like, so half the tournament that's there can hear me like getting kicked out of the area. (laughs) And I'm like, I really am in this tournament. And I just, I'm like, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. And I just went back to my seat. And then he came over and he's like, oh, you are in the tournament. And I was like, I guess I'll take this as a compliment. I had to defend my my stance quite a bit. That sounds like a trip. Uh-huh. They, they thought your dad was playing or something or your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I started questioning my own age. I'm like, wait a minute. But it was fun because I played the seniors at the win and at the Venetian. 
once I got my first taste of seniors tournaments, I was like, oh, this is for me. I'm playing every tournament there is. So I kind of did the circuit. And I guess this year, more people are going to remember you. They're going to be like, that's the one who got carded 50 times and double checked raised Greg <laughs> Raymer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's try to get her out of the tournament. They're going to know my tricks now, you know? I don't know about that. I don't think I have it in me. I feel like they already knew about your tricks, but it's like one of those things, you know, it's so easy. Like, I mean, poker players are usually pretty smart at looking at patterns, but there's such a big difference between like noticing something and actually adjusting your play to it. It can be very difficult for people to do that. It's like they say like, yeah, she's three betting um, every hand. Well, I can't wait till I get ace king or aces and I can like four better. And they're just like waiting and it doesn't happen. You know, you hear though, you just wait till I get aces. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll wait. <laughs> you and me both will wait till you get aces. But yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to do that in so long because it's, I just haven't played a lot of tournaments and definitely not through the series where you're at a table where you can get away with that. And, and there was tables during the seniors tournament that I was at that I couldn't have got away with that. The players were playing back and there was really solid players at, especially on day three. But start of day two, it was great. Well, I think that's going to be us and the tag team in the money bubble because we're going to just like have all the chips and we're going to be like just in there every hand. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be so fun? That is one of the funnest experiences at a World Series event to be like one of the chip leaders in the money bubble because a lot of people are really excited to make the money and it gives you the opportunity to just play everything, which it sounds like yeah. you had the opportunity to do even though you were already in the money. Yeah. Much less difficult. There's nothing better than having chips on a money bubble, period. No matter. <laughs> it's the best thing that can ever happen to you. I mentioned in the intro that the way that I first was made aware of you was because you won a tournament three times in a row. So there was a tournament series. You literally won tournaments. You can see it on your hand of knob, April 10th, April 11th, and April 12th. That is a crazy story. Did it feel like Groundhog Day? It was one of the most grueling experiences I've had in poker. It was mentally draining, physically draining, um, because they were low buy-in. And at this point, like for me in 2015, First of all, I've always been a cash game player. So big buy-in tournaments just weren't something I would seek out. I would play a couple events at the series at this point, but not really seek out big tournaments. So these are the tournaments I played, $100 to $500 tournaments. And this is the biggest tournament series in the Northwest. And so these are low buy-in $200 tournaments, but they're huge fields. You know, the first one, I think had like 550 players and the second one around 450 and then the third tournament was a shootout for 220 players and they play out in one day. So I was playing, the tournament would start at noon. I would get done at three, 3.30 in the morning and then have to show up at noon again, won that tournament at 3.30 in the morning and then do it again with the shootout and won that tournament at 3.30 in the morning. And you know how it is after a tournament, it's so hard to wind down. So especially after you win, I wasn't sleeping. So it, it was it was a brutal three days. I mean, obviously very exhilarating. I've never ran that hot in my life. It was fun. I think most of us will just settle for winning three flips in a row. <laughs> I'll take that, especially deep in a tournament. I want to win three flips in a row. Winning three tournaments in a row. Did you play it on the fourth day? I did. And it was a limit 08, which is probably my better game than Hold'em. But I was so distracted at this point. This is when like poker news and the podcast and my phone was blowing up. I mean, I was still in shock. I won all these tournaments. I did not play well. 
and I was so exhausted. And I decided that I was going to drive home, which was about three and a half hours from there. And I actually, on the way home, I'm in this small town in the middle of Oregon that has this big tournament series. At that time, it was the biggest in the Northwest. I finally realized I'm starving. So I stop at this Mexican restaurant. And the whole time I'm distracted because my phone is just blowing up like crazy. And so I eat and I leave. Well, I, I dined and dashed. Here oh. I have all this money in my purse, in cash. Like I have like $50,000 in my purse. I almost get to my car and three of them come running at me and they're yelling at me and screaming. I thought I was getting mugged, but I actually just owed $11 for my meal. But that's just how out of it I was. I didn't lose flips over three days. If I had a flush drawer, I got there. If you had a flush drawer against me, you didn't get there. And I used to hustle heads up matches. So I don't really like to chop if I can get into a shorthanded situation and especially heads up because I've played so much heads up. So that was kind of my motivation to play them out. And where did you hustle these heads up matches? So a lot of the games that I play, I am the only woman in the game, right? Because there's not a lot of women that play PLO. So it's just easy for me to get heads up games. I can just kind of hey, you want to play heads up? Or if someone's on the list, it would be on the list that I knew would be a good target or ask them if they wanted to play, I would get off cash games and play heads up. And so I've played tons of cash heads up. I've done it a lot. And then sometimes people would call it and just call in to play me heads up. Would you most, this would be mostly PLO or sometimes no No, limit? Sometimes it would be dealer's choice, but most of the time it was no limit. Ah, So you played a lot of heads up, no limit, hold them. A lot. You know, in heads up, of course, there's a lot of ego. Did you feel like people were particularly upset to lose to you because you were the only woman? Were Was there more ego involved when they did? I don't think so because I'm very friendly in general and I'm not playing heads up with sunglasses and my head down and not talking and taking it all serious, no matter what the stakes were. And I talk and visit and play like, it's not like your normal, what you would think of as this heads up match. And I think that's why I would get a lot of games and why they would come back for more. A lot of times is an asset for me just being friendly. You described it as hustling heads up, but I guess part of the hustle is that, you know, you also really do enjoy heads up. So you were giving them a sense that it wasn't like you were trying to play them because they were fish, but you were trying to play them because you also love the game. Well, I mean, that is a part of it. I love the game. I love heads up and I really wanted to play it. I mean, one time when I was at Pendleton, where I won the three tournaments in a row, the very next tournament, it was the year before winning the three tournaments in a row. Right when I got into poker, I immediately went to 510 No Limit. I obviously was running hot because I was beating the games and I wasn't that good. I mean, I didn't know it, but I look back now and I wasn't that good. So I'm in a 510 game and I am super aggressive and I put a beat on a guy and he does not take it well. And he's berating me and berating me and berating me. And I say to him, but we can play heads up, which is such a douchey thing to say. I know this guy just said, wore me down. And he says, yeah. So I try to get a table at the casino. They won't spread it. So we end up out in the parking lot at midnight. We have a guy dealing. There's like eight or 10 players standing around and we're playing for 1K game on the hood of a Toyota camera. <laughs> um, and how'd that go? I took the money he had in his wallet, which was we, well, we actually played four games at 1K and then the last game was for 300. That's all he had at the <laughs> I end. I've some crazy stories, Jen. You have no idea. <laughs> 
that's a great scene from a movie. You two playing on, on top of the car. He was standing in the front. I was standing on the side and the dealer was between us. And we were on the hood of the, the car under the lights in the parking lot. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And that, that <laughs> yeah. one sounded like it was a little bit more adversarial because he was oh, well, He you. didn't like me and I, I didn't like him either. I didn't care. Sometimes playing heads up can be, it's almost like gambling when you see someone losing and you know that they just keep losing and losing and losing. And it, it, I feel empathy there. So sometimes I do call them off, um, but I did not feel that in this case. I would have waited for him to go to the ATM, to be honest. <laughs> but after he lost the $300, did he say he was going to go to the ATM and then just never come no, back? No, <laughs> no. Then the next day he pretended like he didn't know me. But since then, he's a regular at that tournament series and we've made up. That was one for the record books for sure. Do you show bluffs in these heads up matches or does it just depend? Sometimes, sometimes it really depends. You know, I'm not going out saying, hey, Daniel Negroni, you want to play heads up? <laughs> like, you know, I have my my little target market. Like I've never been this really this player that had to move up in stakes like crazy. I pretty much have stayed at five, five for years. And just really in the last two years, have I went to five, 10, 10 and a quarter PLO. I like to beat the games I'm in. I guess maybe I've kind of been insecure about moving up. I don't know. I, I like to, I don't want to say beat the fish because that's so cocky, but I like to, I guess, be in a comfort zone. So yeah, I'm not like seeking out the best players. I have beat some very good players heads up, but most of my players are recreational players that just want to play and have money and want to play heads up. Well, it gives you such great experience though, for when we get heads up in this world series of poker. Yeah, I got us. I got us. <laughs> I do like heads up as well. You know, it's interesting because I have a chess background. And um, of course, in chess, it's always heads up. And I, one of the things I found very natural about poker was that one-on-one -on -one aggression. Whereas, you know, when you have a lot of players, multi-way and like, it's like how you're open and, and the three bet, like, how does that, you know, affect the other players? Like, what are they, how are they perceiving that? That's not as much like chess, just looking at one person and trying to beat them. It's very um, kind of familiar to a chess player. But it's hard to get opportunities to play lives heads up if you're not willing to hustle um, on the hood of a Camry because, <laughs> you know, it's expensive to deal. You know, the World Series of Poker, they have what, one heads up tournament and it's a 25K. And I don't blame them because you need one dealer for every two people, right? So it's pretty tricky right. to make it viable. I've had so many opportunities to play heads up. I feel like I can get heads up matches almost any time I want to. A conspiracy theorist who um, is convinced that I'm not actually a woman has challenged me to a heads up match. Should I say yes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> see that? See, that's your attitude. I'm like, no way. This person is too crazy. It's not worth the win rate. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> and it's really hard to lose to people like that. Losing heads up is awful. And so it's kind of a weird dynamic for me how I really was always unsure about moving up in stakes, but I'll take any heads up match, you know, but you have to really put yourself out there and heads up. There's no excuses when you lose, you lost, you know, they were better or whatever. And it, it stings. It does. It's not fun, especially if somebody's calling you out for something so outrageous. And then if you lose to that person, oh, it hurts. Now, if you could play heads up with anyone, who would it be? I think I'd want to play a female, but I would really want to like them. <laughs> probably like Jennifer Harmon, someone that plays all the games because um, I love Mick so much. I would definitely pick her. 
you could like learn on the learn on the task. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect to win. <laughs> I would hope to win, but I would definitely be a dog in that race. But yeah, it would be amazing. And she was very supportive of me when I won those three tournaments in a row. She tweeted to me about what a big achievement that was, because I guess the odds of doing that was like 50 some million to one. I don't know. She has a special place in my heart. Her and Alan Kessler, they both (laughs) were uh, big cheerleaders of mine when that was happening. So I know that you're a real serious student of the game and that you're always trying to get better. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach to studying poker and how it's changed in the the last years as like uh, solvers have become more prominent? When I won all those tournaments in 2015, I thought I studied the game. So like if you listen to my old podcasts that I did during that, I'll be like, oh, I study the game. Well, super system or you talk to your friend about hands. There was no solvers. So I just continued to play cash and would play turn in, you know, after you win those three tournaments in a row, you're feeling pretty good. And, um, but I always knew I still needed to study like that. I needed to get better. And I didn't really know how to study for a really long time. I finally met some people that taught me how to study and I hired my first coach. I started where... Jason Gooch kind of taught me how to study a little bit and look at hands. And he would say to me when I would talk, you, you sound like a fish. And I would be like, I do? Because I had to learn on the felt. I started playing full-time in 2008. Like I had to learn how to win by doing it. There was no solvers or anything. And so I didn't even know how to study or how to talk poker in an intelligent manner after these solvers came out. So I hired, he recommended I hired Ben Reason to coach me. And he's like an online coach. And I really feel sorry for him because he probably was like, how does this girl ever even win? She can't even, he probably thought I was the biggest idiot. And because studying for me is very difficult because I have an art type brain. So the concepts, I feel like I have to work three times harder to understand the concepts and the spots. It's it's a lot of work for me. It does not come easy. So I worked with him quite a bit and then the pandemic hit and then now I work with Faraz and Faraz is a really good fit for me. Ben was so great and so patient for me with me and he is an unbelievable coach, but Faraz plays more live. So he really gets into when I should deviate from theory based poker, which is quite a bit for me because I am playing, you know, the MSPT in the Midwest and the seniors tournament and ladies tournaments. And, you know, a lot of that GTO stuff kind of needs to go out the window, but I've spent hours studying it, working with Jackie Burkhardt, who's my bestie. We go over hands like crazy. There was a time where we were studying just like nonstop. And um, it seemed like it came really easy for her and it was really difficult for me. But now I feel like I came a long way and Faraz is kind of taking me to that next level. He is fantastic. Yeah, he was on the grid as well for queen three offsuit of all hands. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it makes sense that if you have like a bit of artistic brain that um, the exploitative stuff with you, like crushing the heads up would come more easily to you. And then because you you learned that already to kind of combine that with the theory might take a little longer. But then when you really do combine the two, you can become such a beast. I feel so much better. I'm so glad that I put the time in. Because when something is so hard, it's kind of easy. And then when you first start learning this, I was just punting like crazy. When I first started working with Ben and he's telling me to take these spots, these check raise spots and stuff, 
I would take them every time, you know, and he doesn't mean take it every single time, but you know, I'm taking it a majority of the time or, you know, I'm getting, not doing it against this player or that player, but I feel now where I can start concentrating on the next level of the game because I have maybe three bets pre-flop. I've got that pretty down. So then it just is this layer. It's like an onion. And I just keep learning more and more and more. And it just gives you more confidence. So, you know, I'm playing bigger tournaments now, even though tournaments are probably only 20% of what I do in poker. It's mainly cash. I mean, I'm at my cash game right now. I have somebody playing over me. That's what a DJ and I am. The game only goes two days a week. I can't miss it. So I'm like, hey, I got to go do this podcast. Someone play over me. So yeah, cash games are my love. I feel like they give you the best quality of life too with poker. So you uh, mentioned that you used to own bars. So you've got a lot going on in cash games. You can kind of fit in as you need it. Right. When I posted about looking for a tag team partner who wanted to play for reproductive justice and abortion access for all, you were one of the first to reply. And can you tell me why that cause is important to you? Why you reached out? When I saw your post, I was already fuming for like two days when that uh, opinion had been leaked. And so when I saw your post and you're like, I want to donate money to this cause and I'm looking for someone to play with me, you just hit me at the perfect time. I was like, yes, instantly I want to play with her. I want to be involved with this. It's not a time to be quiet anymore. And this cause is very important to me. Abortion is the right to decide. The right to choose is a, a main priority for me. And I want my daughter to have the same rights that I have, not less. You know, I'm willing to put resources, time, anything to fight this fight. Yeah. And one of the reasons it is so meaningful to me is for somebody who um, has spent so much of her career trying to convince girls that it's like they should be playing chess and it's really good for them. And now also that like poker is like so good for women because it teaches them like all these life skills. I really believe all that, but it just all feels so painful and hollow to talk about these metaphors for decision-making and then the real things that they represent that if you have to make a difficult decision, you're not able to have certain choices. It just impacts everybody, you know, no matter what your opinion is on abortion, right? The majority of Americans want to be able to have that choice. But when you take your opinion and impose your religious beliefs onto other people, it's just not okay. And it's also a subject that we don't talk about, right? You don't talk about politics, abortion, and religion. This is things you don't talk about. Well, you know what? Now you're forcing us to talk about it. Now we're having to talk about it and we're having to fight for it. And it's, uh, it's disheartening. I obviously completely agree that the, uh, the access to abortion is so important. What bothers me about it is that there will always be access to abortion for people who are rich. So policies like these, they're really only for people who can't afford easily to like go to another state if they want an abortion. That just means that the richer you are, the more options you'll have. Yeah. And half of abortions that are happening now are people below the poverty line. And you're going to have whole blocks of states in the South that it's not just transporting myself to the next state. You might have to go three or four states over 10, 12, 15 hour drives to get the medical care that you want. And, you know, that's, it's always the people that can't afford to do that. It's just disenfranchising them even worse. And they already have poor medical care to start with, higher death rates and all those kind of things. And then now they can't even get basic, basic medical care. That should be a right. 
Yeah, indeed. It's very unfair. And I hope more awareness for this issue. Um, certainly there is already a lot of awareness, but I will say that like, since I teamed up with you, I did some research. There's a Vegas abortion fund called the Wild West Fund. And I'm going to give part of my winnings to that one. I also give a little bit to my PA fund as well. Um, so I'll be splitting between the PA and the Nevada because I'm like playing there. And I was really impressed by this fund because I like learned things that I didn't know. First of all, they taught me that um, I shouldn't be so negative when I talk about abortion rights because it could give a false impression that the abortion is illegal in this country. And it's not right. It's still accessible. And particularly the abortion pill, we need to make sure that people know that that's accessible. Yeah. I mean, it's been a learning process because we've taken this for granted, really. If you would have told me five years ago that Roe was really seriously in jeopardy, I would have argued that you were crazy. It's been a time to, to get up to speed and to realize how we should be talking about this and, and what steps we need to take to protect our rights and protect our kids' rights and people that don't have a voice for themselves. You know, you're right. It's just so confusing, this current world, because like a lot of the times you feel like there's progress made in so many things. Like, you know, 10 years ago, I would go to a poker table and like the kinds of comments that people made so sexist and misogynistic. Now I feel like there's less of those or there's more likely to be a man who speaks up. Yeah. But then at the same time, Roe versus Wade is getting overturned. And it's just like, it's so confusing that it feels like it's easy to be too optimistic and look at positive effects and think that they're widespread, but there's also like all this nefarious stuff going on underneath the surface. I'm always been a little bit more optimistic yeah. than the average person, but you know, I also have to check myself. But I think we're going to get a lot of teams. I think that we'll get quite a few people, you know, wearing t-shirts and donating some of their winnings, both male and female. And it was good to have some of the men in poker come out and say, I want to be a part of this too because it takes all of us. It was really nice to see the response. I'm really grateful that you and I are teaming up and that so many other people are inspired. I know. Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to this year? Any kind of like change in your game that you're hoping to implement? Yeah, I have really, since working with Faraz, I've really kind of uh, scaled back those punts that I was doing. So I feel like I am calmer you know, you can be very well studied, but if you take things too far, you end up being the fish at the table, right? And I feel like I've really, in the last year, done so much work on that, and I'm playing a lot better when it comes to Hold'em. But my true love is PLO8, and so I always look forward to Omaha tournaments at the series, and especially the PLO8. And the seniors event, of course. You can't forget oh, that. yes. <laughs> if there's one thing you could change about poker, what would it be? I think I would change the dynamics when you're a woman at the table and I'm not a victim at the table and I really don't care who's at my table. I will play against anybody. I don't care who it is. It's not like I'm saying, oh, more women in poker. That would be great. But I think it's the way that we can be treated at the table and I'm not easily offended. So I'm not that impacted buy it because I can give it right back. But I think I'd like to see more respect for women. What do you think men are not doing enough of in that respect? What about like men who have good intentions, but just somehow are messing it up? I'm very outspoken. So I, I think that sometimes men sit back because they think I can take care of myself, which I can. But there has been instances where, you know, you'd like some support. And I think you know, speaking out is good. But overall, I don't want to act like this is a big problem for me because it's not, but it does happen. And it would be nice. Like there's a game here in Iowa that I was told 
no women play in that game. No women have ever played in that game. You can't come because you're a woman. And that was the first time I was like, what? Like, you're serious? Like, is this really happening to me? And so maybe if, if we could be looked at more as players and not as our gender, which is never going to happen, but you know, it'd be nice to have some improvements in that, in that aspect. Well, I think you are making progress in that area because, you know, you being in the community and crushing in all these different formats is pretty inspiring. And I was very, very excited to get you on the grid with Ace-8 suited for the double check raise. You know, we haven't had a lot of those. So (laughs) no, either have I. (laughs) We're going to have to try to get that in the tag team as well. So watch out, guys. Yeah, watch out for the double check raise. Next time I might not have it. And until Vegas, Angela Jordison, poker professional, who is going to be teaming up with me in the tag team. Maybe we'll have a hand from you from that actual event. Probably heads up. Yeah, I think we're going deep. I mean, we're there for all the right reasons. That's right. All the way. We're going all in for abortion access. And Angela Jordison, it was a pleasure to speak with you about this ace eight suited hand against world champion Greg Raymer. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Grid, sponsored by PokerStars. Please subscribe, review, and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Till next time, as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh, no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent. You won't see me, see me stunting, no. Thing. Oh.